You are listening to a Nerd Room Podcast, a member of the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. Be sure to check out more from the Star Wars Commonwealth on the web at StarWarsCommonwealth.com and take your first steps into a larger world. Hey everyone and welcome to the Nerd Room where we talk all things comics and movies. This is episode number 53. We're discussing Rogue One, a Star Wars story. I'm your host, Tim. I'm Troy. It's, it's been a year in the making, yeah. over a year in the making. We've been talking about this, we've been speculating, we've been dodging spoilers for the better part of a year now. And we finally got to see the first anthology movie coming out of the gates here, Rogue One. And they pulled it off, eh? Wow, like, yes. let's, just, let's just think... We're we're now going to get Star Wars films forever, every year. Mm-hmm. And this is becoming such an event style of viewing. You know, we've got a, a good crew now. We go see with like 10 plus people. We went and had burgers and beers before. And I'm loving this experience that we're getting around these films now. Yeah, no, this is great stuff. I mean, I guess you could say Force Awakens was kind of like the launching pad, you know, yeah. to get this universe going back again. And uh, wow, what a treat we were in for. What are your initial reactions when we stepped to the theater? I wish we had our microphones with us because I, I think we're all just hyperventilating. Oh, I was, I was, I was lost for words. You know, uh, the end of the movie, just the last act of this movie it, is like something I've never seen before, experienced before. Yeah, and I was literally on the edge of my seat from the opening sequence going forward. Like, I've never really felt like that. Even with The Force Awakens, I found myself a bit reserved. Like, I think I went in with these really lofty expectations, and I think they were met with The Force Awakens. But this, I went in with those same expectations. But a part of me was like, what if I don't like this? What Mm -hmm. if it's different? What if it changes how I view the rest of the original trilogy? Because The Force Awakens and the prequels, they did have effects on the original trilogy. But this one is on top of it. This one could have really changed changed how you viewed it and i was really excited for these anthology movies i really wanted to see them succeed mm-hmm. to come out of a theater feeling like that like this it was an experience it was something that i didn't think would meet my really lofty expectations i kind of kept that hidden mm-hmm. i didn't really want to put myself out there and say this is going to be one of the best films i'll see this year if not ever yeah as far as the Star Wars universe is concerned, but it, it's up there. Like I'm, we're going to throw maybe a little bit of ranking towards the end of the episode here, and these lists are very fluid. They're going to change from day to day, from week yeah. to week. But at the same time, I'm very comfortable saying this ranks among the best of the Star Wars films, and I've only seen it once. Yeah, it's it's up there, right? Yeah, yeah. So what we're going to do here, we're going to we're going to break this thing down. We're going to discuss it. We're going to go through some of the elements here that we think are important to talk about because there's a lot of cameos, there's a lot of story development, character development and there are some places where people had issues with this film i'm going to try to talk through some of that while at the same time trying not to fanboy totally about everything here so one thing i wanted to throw out there i had the the fortunate experience of doing a interview on live tv and i gotta give a shout out to kyle over at tumbling saber he threw me this after he was unable to do it so ctv is a news channel here in canada and they wanted someone to talk a bit about star wars And I got to do this live interview with one of the hosts of the Saturday morning talk news show or whatever the hell it is. But it was a lot of fun to do. So go check it out. I threw it up on our Facebook page. It's on our Twitter page. Just search the Nerd Room Podcast or the Nerd RM on Twitter. And you can find it there. So we just had a brief chat about Star Wars. One of the most nerve-wracking experiences of my life. I've never done live TV or anything like that. 
it was this weird FaceTime interview. I couldn't see him, could barely hear him, but I, I had a lot of fun with it. And it was, it's really short. It's only a couple of minutes. Oh, it's great stuff, man. It turned out cool. You, uh, you held it down and you represented all of us nerds out there very well. So good job, man. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> and I appreciate Kyle over time and saber representing, throwing the Star Wars Commonwealth. Yeah. You know, just sharing that and you know, bringing that community together. Just love it. Awesome stuff. Got to ask you here. Yeah. Did you watch A New Hope before we went into this? Yes. Yes, yes. I did. Before and after, actually. Yeah. Yes. Well, maybe we'll save this to the end, but I want to think about as we go through this, this idea of does it change how you perceive that movie now? And because you watched it before and after, I'd like to hear your thoughts when we get through this discussion cool. about whether or not it's changed how you view the original trilogy. Cool. So quickly, box office. This thing is killing it. It opened to $155 million domestically, $290 million globally, the 12th highest opening of all time, and number two in the Star Wars franchise. That's right. I think this really solidifies it from a financial perspective, that they're going to be continuing with these anthology movies. I'm not going to be surprised if they do announce a forward-going movie out of this beyond the Han Solo anthology film. Any Just on a fun. For, I don't know. I'm thinking yeah. Bounty Hunters is still where I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. I, I know that just seems to be the way they're going. They have these these type of ensemble casts because with Han Solo, and we're kind of already on attention, but <laughs> with Han Solo, I think it's going to be again a different film where the Empire is not the main antagonist, yeah. and we're also really boiling down to a few characters. They had the benefit in this movie, of, and maybe some people say this is where maybe it, it tripped over its own feet. Here is that we had a larger cast, a lot of characters to focus in on, mm-hmm. and they relied heavily on the original trilogy characters that we're familiar with villains that we're familiar with and the books exactly was a must-have almost i'd say oh yeah getting into this movie yeah and that's a great segue in here because catalyst we talked about it last week so go check out our thoughts on that in last episode but this was a must-have we said last week that we thought you didn't really need this book but i think you need this book you really do out of any other book going into the star wars movies this is a must-have Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's the first book I've I've committed to and read prior to going into a film. I've I've had this almost angst about reading a book before a movie because I'm worried about giving too much away and right. not adding to the story as much as I thought this book would. Mm-hmm. I didn't read any of the Force Awakens stuff, and all I've ever really done is the prelude comics to the MCU films that just kind of touch briefly on some periphery characters. But this had a major impact, for me at least, on the first act. Yeah, especially with this is the first being Star Wars movie that we've had no opening crawl, which I think it could have benefited of having. Yeah. Um, you have to pick up this book. Yeah, this yeah. this book is the opening crawl. It is crawl. the opening crawl, yeah. yeah. And we did have the long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I thought it was yeah. cool, and I got a bit giddy because I thought, okay, they've thrown a curveball at us. They said there's no crawl, mm-hmm. and then I thought it was just going to hammer us with the right? music. We didn't get it. So do you feel like there was a bit of disservice there? You may, I really, yeah. Yeah, maybe not so much for maybe us, but mm-hmm. for the casual moviegoer. Yeah, because I mean, obviously reading Catalyst, I kind of erased those thoughts, so I had that carrying into this movie. But for the general audience that hasn't read that book... Man, I, I think there's a little bit of a disservice for them because, you know, Lear's character, Saw Gerrera, Jin, Krennic, you're missing quite a bit of those characters' traits um, from that book, right, into yeah. this movie. I'd have to fully agree with you yeah. there. And I think talking to other people, talking to people at work and talking to some other people that aren't – or maybe that are more your casual Star Wars mm-hmm. fans or the people that like to go to these event-style movies – they really missed on the first act, I think. I think coming into this, it's it's that impact of the characters that we see at the start here because you, you're kind of thrown right into it, right? Yeah. We have Lemu, we have the rings, which I was almost 
in the air when I saw that. Right. I was like, oh my God, because that's almost exactly how Catalyst ends. It's very specific about the rings. And I'm thinking, I'm so happy I read this book just for that scene. Mm-hmm. And then we get into this whole sequence with Krennic, the Death Troopers, and Galen. Yeah. And everyone I've talked to that didn't read the book is really missing that aspect. of They don't get the relationships that no. we do see there. And it's a, a lot less impactful, I think. Well, it's the focal point of the book, right? It's yeah. that relationship between uh, Galen and Krennic um, and, and Lyra, right? That's a huge character, kind of a missed opportunity because she is killed well, within the first two minutes of the film. Yeah, and it's yeah, the right? weight of her death that I don't think the general audience is feeling because yeah. we knew she was going to be killed at the hands yes. of Krennic, whether it was him or someone else. He was going to order her death. And I felt it happened really fast, mm-hmm. which I was shocked at. It was almost like, because we spent the whole book and he, there's this back and forth, is he going to kill her? Is he not? Is yeah. he trying to get rid of her? And it, he's gotten to the point where he's just like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. And I thought that was really quick. It was kind of a bit of a, a twist, I thought, on the character. Like, it was not so much out of character, but it seemed to happen really fast. He's trying to convince Galen. He's saying, we're going to bring you back. You know, you, your whole family can come. And he doesn't seem that he's going to actually kill Lyra. And then he just orders it right there. Yeah, I guess with all that time that's gone by, because I'm guessing from Catalyst to this movie where it starts off, initially this movie starts off 15 years before yeah. right so i'm guessing there must be about a two three year gap yeah there's not a lot but yeah the there's a couple years yeah and enough enough time for them to get established on the moo mm-hmm. and they've got all kind of all these protocols right. they've got this house and all that and Jin has grown up a little bit yeah. since we saw her in catalyst mm-hmm. that's one thing i have to say that lyra she's such a big part of catalyst she really is and for me like i felt it you know when she got taken out i could feel that but at the same time i know there's a disconnect between the audience that didn't yeah that book this whole opening sequence, there's a lot of stuff that happens here. We get the introduction of the Death Troopers. What did you think of these guys? My favorite troopers. Yeah. These are, uh, well, I still like the clone troopers because I did get like two movies of them. Yeah. But uh, these are my number two. I really like, and they can aim, they can shoot. Yeah. These guys are vicious. Yeah. The only thing I never really got with the Death Troopers, and I was yeah. waiting for an explanation the whole movie, mm-hmm. was why are they with Krennic? Only Krennic. And there's about six of them or whatever, right? That's right. And, and you know what? Catalyst doesn't fill in that gap. But maybe we'll get these guys now in Rebels. Maybe we'll see the Death Troopers show up. That'd be pretty cool. That'd there's, be awesome. There's actually an appearance of them in a recent Poe Dameron comic. Not of the Troopers themselves, but of their helmets. No way. Yeah. Oh, man. So it's pretty cool. It's kind Dope. of in the background there. Yeah, so. nice. Yeah, I agree. I really love these Troopers. The look is awesome. Mm-hmm. Their, their chatter is really cool. Right. And it's, it's kind of a bit ominous, kind of a bit scary. So Krennic is on the planet to pick up Galen because he wants Galen to finish the work he started. And as we go through the movie, I find that they've slightly tweaked Galen's character from Catalyst. So in Catalyst, he is working specifically on the Kyber crystals. He thinks it's this altruistic research program for energy. And they're kind of taking that and they're kind of shoehorning it into weapons. But in this film, he becomes more, of a lead engineer, it seems, on the whole project itself. Mm-hmm. And that's the impact that we see later on when we have the revelation from the hologram, right? What's your take on them tweaking that character a bit and maybe focusing a little less on the kyber crystals? I think it's kind of a way they could cut out a lot, a lot of like the, the scientific like mumbo-jumbo yeah. behind the, the kyber crystals and the energy and the, the weaponizing. So I think that's just their, little, their way around it because, again, with people not reading the book, 
there's only so much they can do with that character because we didn't really get much of Galen. No, not at all. And for the amount that he's in the actual book, I thought he was going to be leveraged a lot more in this film, especially having an actor like Mads Mikkelsen. But at the same time, I feel, again, this comes down to reading Catalyst. I really appreciated what they did with Galen, even though he's a very, very minor character in this film. Mm -hmm. I understood that relationship between him and Krennic because that's another thing is that in this opening sequence, the banter between Ben Middleson and, and Mads Mikkelsen is really good but at the same time you still don't get that weight behind the relationship that these guys knew each other from a young age and the yeah. corps of engineers together and they grew up and then you you don't ever i don't think with krennic too get that full feeling that he has the ability to manipulate like that was a big aspect of the book Huge. right yeah seeing this film through the eyes of someone that hasn't read this book is something that we're never going to experience and for me personally this book made this movie it's it's a great movie nonetheless, mm-hmm. but I think on the understanding that I had of this, especially this opening sequence, I feel that that book just made this whole thing shine a lot brighter. Well, it goes hand to hand, right? Yeah. It's like you basically pick up Catalyst, you, you you watch Rogue One, and then you stick in a new hope after, yeah. right? It's, just, <laughs> yeah. it's boom, boom, Those boom. Those three, yeah. It's absolutely fantastic. And prior to Lyra being killed, she pops a kyber crystal. Yes. around Jin's neck. I love that because she calls it out in Catalyst that yes, one day does. you'll get one of these. Right? She does. And she holds that Kyber crystal right through Catalyst. And yes. it's another great piece that's kind of pulled through Catalyst into this opening sequence. Mm-hmm. It's, just go read Catalyst yeah, if you have not read it. It's the crawl. It. it really is yeah. the crawl. Um, and the Stardust reference. Right? Love that. I knew that was going... I called it last week. I knew that was going to be something. And that's something that's focused on quite heavily in Catalyst is Stardust. Galen refers to Jyn as Stardust. And he does this a couple times in this opening sequence Mm -hmm. as well. And that really weighs in later to why she's able to find the Death Star plans. Yes. Now, after Lyra is killed and Galen allows himself to be taken, more or less sacrificing himself so that Jin can escape. She goes into this rock hole or whatever, mm-hmm. and we get the appearance of Saw Gerrera. Yes. This character, I don't know, a lot of people had problems with Saw. Yeah. I loved this that, Yeah, you like, so going into this movie, because I know you haven't had, you don't have a background with uh, the Clone Wars Saw Gerrera, right? How'd you feel with this character's uh, speech, you could say? Well, it's a, so I went back and watched the four-episode arc of nice. Saw in The Clone Wars. Awesome. And so I had that experience there with him. And I think he's kind of like one of these original rebels, yes. right? He's he's trained somewhat by the Jedi. Yeah, Anakin. You know, yeah, people refer to him as a bit of a terrorist. And it's, it's, there's an interesting quote in that episode arc from Obi-Wan that we can't train almost terrorist, right? Right. And so there, there's some interesting interplay there. And they've kind of pulled some of that extremism through into Saw's character here. Mm-hmm. But when we get into the later scenes on Jeddah with Saw, and even in this early sequence, and there's some of it that's cut out from the trailers, right? There seems yeah. to be a longer discussion between Jin and Saw when he pulls her out of the hole. But I liked his look. I liked how he sounds. He sounds crazy. Yeah. Like he sounds like an extremist. Right. And the way Forrest Whitaker portrays, like, this this character, like, I think in the book, you don't get that same vibe from him. There mm-hmm. seems to be a big change in that 15 years. Yeah. And it seems like you see it in the character with his legs chopped off and all mm-hmm. that. But his voice, I love the voice. Yeah. And I love that he's like this extremist that the rebels don't really want to work with. They've worked with him in the past, yeah. but they need him now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's funny. Um, I really liked him in the Clone Wars. I liked him in the book. I mean, we did get to see that light side connection with him in the book and uh, Jin, which yeah. I really appreciated. But um, in the movie, I like what they're trying to do with the character. I just felt like he's executed 
kind of in a funny way, or maybe we just didn't get enough time with him. Yeah. His voice was hit or miss with me in some moments. I'm like, I like it. And then some moments it just felt, and Forrest Whitaker is an incredible actor, uh, Oscar Winner even, but sometimes it felt overacted for me. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I was doing the back of my house the other day. Yeah. I'll, I'll stay away from it for now on. <laughs> I really liked it. Yeah. Like, it, it's interesting because yeah. in the book, he kind of shows up towards the end and there's not a lot there, but you yeah. do get that relationship between Saw and Galen and Saw and Jin. Mm-hmm. And it makes more sense to me that Galen would send a pilot to Saw with... Yes. So that makes more sense, yes, right? Because exactly. that's another thing that's not really explored much is that this idea that there is a, a previous relationship there and there's that communication card yes. at the end, the catalyst that is exchanged and Galen trusts Saw and that's why he sent this pilot to Jeddah to find Saw Gerrera, right? That's right. Th- that aspect I like too. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was hoping we got a full circle with the character. Maybe we will see it in Rebels because they have announced, thanks yes. to you, you showed me that, that um, Saw will be appearing in Rebels. But I really wish we got to see an opportunity of him encounter Vader yeah. Because he feels like um, like a complete flip of Vader. I mean, they're both damaged. Yeah, they're, they don't have much left in them. Um, even the breathing down to even the breathing. Even the breathing right? But Anakin in the Clone Wars, you know, basically created uh, Sagara. Yeah. So it's, I, I wish they got to encounter each other. Well, that's an interesting thought because I think we could have had more Saw, but yeah. I'm happy with what we got of him. I think he played into the narrative very well. And yeah. stepping back and looking at his impact from the Clone Wars mm-hmm. and now into what we're going to get in Rebels. Maybe we're going to get an expansion of the character and yes. understand a bit more why he's gone towards this extremist branch of rebelling. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that's explored a bit more in this movie is the extremism of Rebels and how it's not this clean-cut binary black and white evil versus good right we see a lot of gray in this film particularly from one of our lead males in Cassian Andor we see that from Saw Gerrera here who is this extremist rebel who's you know mounting this insurgency on Jeddah against the Empire but the rebels the alliance themselves don't want to work with this guy yeah because this is the first time we get to see the rebels in a desperate situation they're they're desperate they're new and uh, we're seeing the rebels do things that we didn't couldn't imagine them doing before Um, even the guy that gives the commands to uh, Cassian yeah, to uh, execute Galen. Yeah, you know, that's that's just something I've never seen or thought I'd see. Yeah, and it's exploring this like whole morally gray aspect of war, right? Yeah. We're down in the trenches. It's a dirty, gritty war, right? And they're doing what they have to do to get a foothold in here because we're still not at a point where the Rebel Alliance has actually formed, right? Exactly. And there are these, still these cells that we're seeing build in Rebels. Mm-hmm. They're, they're coming together here. They seem to have at least some sort of council. But at the same time, they have these independent factions that are doing what they want to do. And so we, this is the first time that we see, I think, the rebels come together in a big way. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Because, I mean, going off of Lords of the Sith, when I was reading that book, you had the Free Ryloth movement, which yeah. is basically um, Champs and Doula's crew, but they weren't affiliated with any other rebels. So this is this is a pretty cool take so far. Yeah, and it's the Rebel Alliance themselves, the higher-ups, that do order Jin to be rescued from this Imperial labor camp that we do see her in initially here. And this really shows the grit of Jin, is that she's being rescued, and then she immediately goes at the Rebels that are rescuing her, only to be stopped by K2SO. Oh, that was a powerful scene when he, yeah. he just like pulls her down, throws her a little bit of like a WWF, yeah. WWE <laughs> move, I guess I should say. Yeah, Yeah, and this is all motivated by... 
Cassian grabbing that information that there's a pilot that has defected and it has a message from someone that has information with regards to this super weapon, this ultimate weapon that the Empire is building. It still whispers, right? No one really knows what it is. We have this this bound secrecy. So even within the Senate itself, no one really knows about this Death Star. Which is just so cool because the whole time this thing's been lingering around since like the end of Attack of the Clones. Yeah. I just think that's so fascinating. And now once Jin is brought before kind of the council here, we get Mon Mothma, we get our first Bail Organa cameo, silent cameo. I was a little disappointed at the start. Yeah. I was like, oh my god, he's not going to talk. This is going to suck. That scared me. Yeah, yeah, but he does come back in a big way later and he does get some speaking lines. Mm-hmm. I love the presence of Jimmy Smith in this movie. Love it. You can't go wrong with that. No. And she's sent on a mission with Cassian, with K2SO to get this message from this defective pilot so they can understand what's going on here. Jed is a planet that we are introduced here pretty early on in the trailers. What did you think of Jedda itself? Oh, I loved this planet. This might have been my favorite planet in the yeah. movie. This is this is so cool. It's it's like Mos Eisley or Tatooine times ten. Yeah. Um, that one character we're introduced to right away, that cool alien looking character. We were f- first introduced to him in Celebration. He works for Sagar. Yeah, he's one of yeah one of his lieutenants, or whatever. I wish we got more of that guy. Yeah. I really thought that guy looked cool. That's a tour I'd buy in two seconds. But yeah, Jetta looked awesome. Uh, just such a cool feel to that place. And the one thing that I liked about Jeddah was that it, it it felt like it had a rich history with the Jeddah. We yes. do see the fallen monument, and it is this kyber crystal rich area. So the the, the empire is mining kyber crystals or stealing kyber crystals mm-hmm. from the temple here. I love seeing this star destroyer above Jeddah, and that's one thing that Gareth Edwards does so well is scale. Yes, like yes, just, that's that's true. That's a good this, point. This whole movie is beautifully shot, but when you look at the scenes with the Star Destroyer above Jeddah, with the Star Destroyers with the backdrop of the Death Star, yeah. like it's just gorgeous. Like he's always done scale so well and made you appreciate how big things are. Like the AT-ATs. Yeah. Yeah. And I also loved how real Jeddah felt. That actually felt like uh, most planets in Star Wars that this could work. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it had this buzz to it, and yeah. it, there's. I love the mixture of you have the Imperial forces, you have these Rebel forces, you have the people that are just living on Jeddah. Just we the do locals, get, yeah. Yeah, we do get the cameo from the two dudes from um, uh, most easily yeah, there. Yeah, the Cantina yeah. in there. I think it's Punda Baba, and I can't remember the other guy's name. Cool, but I really like that. Did you, did you think that was two on the nose? No, not no. at all. Not yeah. at all. Actually, that worked for me. Yeah, yeah. I really like that yeah. too. And one thing that I can't really remember. So, like a lot of Jeddah, at least the early scene here is is focusing around the the pillaging of the Kyber crystals, right? And I can't remember if it was explicitly said that kybers are important for the main weapon. Because, like we said a little earlier, the whole aspect of kyber crystals wasn't really explored in this film. We, no. we questioned last week whether or not we're going to get this elaborate explanation of kyber crystals and the science behind it and all this. And I don't know if it was ever explicitly said that they were for the, the turbo laser or anything like that. No, I don't think I picked up on that one. No, no. because it was just it's just in Lost Stars that they, they discuss the idea that the, the turbo laser is powered by an array of kyber crystals. Yeah, because I think like last episode, like we mentioned, I think after reading Catalyst and Ahsoka and yeah. this movie, I guess, I think they're going get, to get away from the kybers yeah. now. Like That's over. It's done with. And yeah. Yeah, I think I think yeah, I think you're right with that aspect because if you get too much into the science of it, I think mm-hmm. that needs to be left for the comic books, for the books, yeah. for the people that are seeking more information about that. And I liked how they addressed that in this film. They weren't too heavy on the idea of the science behind the Kyber yeah. crystals because if you get kind of lost in that, there's already a lot going on in this film. Yeah. And to try to add that extra layer of science of the Kyber crystals and all that, I think it was really smart to take that aspect out of it and just say, look, these are important enough that the Empire is stealing them and yeah. Sajerera is trying to 
to stop them. Or exactly. You kind of walk that fine line of like the Mechalorians again. Right? Yeah. Which you don't want to go down that path. No. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the characters here because it's on Jeddah that we do get to know some of these characters in a bit more depth. Specifically, Jin, Cassian, and K2. Let's start with K2SO. Big hit. Yes. Right? Is this one of your favorite droids that you've seen in the Star Wars universe? Is it one of my favorite droids? I'm going to say no, and I know I'm in the minority because this, this character is blown up. I'm still a big fan of the Knights of the Old Republic, MK something or another. Look him up. He's awesome. And I like I really like BB-8. Yeah. I really like him. And I'm, big, I'm a big fan of the original um, R2, C3, and the droids we got in the Vader comic. Yeah. Um, those are my favorites. BT, yeah. I love those two. Yeah. But this, this character is great, and um, it's a shame that he's a one and done. Yeah, I'm is. sure we'll see like his droid pop up somewhere. Not necessarily the same droid, but um, he was great. Yeah, I loved him too. I think yeah. he brought a, that, that needed lightness to this film. Yeah. And the comedic timing was almost perfect right. every time. I know, was never taken out by it. Because sometimes with C-3PO, I feel like I'm taken out by the comedy that he's bringing into this. Mm-hmm. And sometimes even with R2, specifically in the prequels, yeah. there's a lot of kind of goofing around, accidentally doing things. And C-3 was, he's a big proponent of that. Like he accidentally does, like a Mr. Magoo type yeah, character. Yeah, like a watered down Jar Jar. But... I think this character, he he did a lot of really cool things, and the lightness that he had there, that sassiness of this droid. Yeah, he's a mature droid, yeah. too, for once, right? Yeah. And I like what they did there. I thought he really benefited this cast of characters. Yeah. And then Cassian Andor, his his captain, right? The one that he somewhat follows here. Mm-hmm. Uh, another character, like I said, he's, he's kind of walks this line, right? Yeah. And he was probably my least favorite of the crew that were introduced, I think. Yeah, I would say so. I would say so because I I did feel with these characters they were uh, they were lacking quite a bit of development and uh, yeah he's, he's probably one of my letdowns throughout this movie yeah. yeah because overall that's another complaint that people have and specifically I'm not fully there with it mm-hmm. there's a lot of talk about the lack of development of some of these characters specifically yeah. Jin Cassian and a couple of the other characters yeah. here we didn't get to spend enough time with them but I felt personally that I got enough from these characters that I was attached to them at mm-hmm. least. Um, with the exception of maybe Cassian, I felt a real attachment to K2, to yeah. Jin, to Churit, to Baze. Yeah. Like, I felt like these characters had a good amount of development in this film for what they were used for. Yeah, I'd say, honestly, uh, K2SO was probably the, the one that had the biggest development throughout the movie there. Yeah. Right? But it made sense because it's a one and done. You know, you can't spend too much time with these characters. And like you told me, we're going to get a comic now on yeah, Donnie's character so, yeah. and, and Bass. Churit yeah. and Baze are getting a young reader's novel. Wicked. And this is coming out in May. So it looks like it's going to tell a bit of the story, probably of the initial uh, occupation of the Emperor, would be my guess. Yeah. And a little bit about their background of being guardians of the, the Church of the Forest or the, whatever, the Temple of the Wills, whatever it's called. Yeah. And I think it's going to explore a bit more of those characters. So a lot of these characters, I think, are going to benefit from comic book adaptations from young reader novel adaptations Mm -hmm. similar to what we got with before the awakening because it's the same author that's doing that they did before the awakening so it might be a couple small stories focusing in on these characters and developing them a bit more going in and i'm not saying that as you know giving an excuse for the movie for maybe not spending a little more time in these characters yeah but the pace of this first act is is breakneck almost we see a lot of planets we see a lot of characters but at the same time i feel like they did a good enough job making sure we understood who everyone was, what they were about. And going forward into the story, 
I felt like they produced an arc for these people that it kind of came around full circle with all of them. Yeah. Like I never felt like I was left questioning why a character did something or I never felt like a character wasn't developed enough that I didn't understand the motivations behind things. When, when Cassian did something that was, you know, a little below the bar, I got that when Jin, she's kind of goes through the quickly, this pace where she's not with the rebellion, Mm -hmm. but as soon as she sees that message from her father, she's Mm -hmm. immediately on the side of the rebellion. Now she knows what has to be done. Yeah. Which I liked. And I think she was written well. And Felicity Jones, again, like she's an incredible actress, but she fell a little flat to me. I don't know if it's her chemistry or Cassian's, but they just didn't connect. I know there was no like romantic connection, which I'm glad they stayed away from. They, they, tr- they tried they to tie to a little bit towards the end there, but I just I just felt like sometimes the lines that she was receiving from Cassian wasn't really taken in. Yeah. I kind of felt like she's like, yeah, okay, whatever, and then just kind of did her own thing. Well, it's interesting you know? because I think some of that was a result of the reshoots in that. Cause it yeah. looks like specifically when we have her with the, the rebel Alliance around the first council there, mm-hmm. they've taken like that. I rebel line yeah. and some of almost the more abrasive aspects of Jin. they've mm-hmm. kind of lightened that character. It seems. And I don't know if we're seeing a little bit of the original way she was written and acted right. kind of mixed in with some of the new scenes that maybe they shot, because I felt that she does go through a little bit of progression as a character. She's mm-hmm. you almost from the trailers get this idea that she really doesn't want to be there. Yeah. I've, I felt from that first scene, at least the way it's, it's cut in the movie that she is a bit more sympathetic than I thought she was going to be throughout yeah. the whole movie from the trailers specifically. That's true. Cause she was pretty cold in those trailers. Yeah. Yeah. But they've taken a lot of that out. And I think yeah. that really benefits the character mm-hmm. is that you feel, for her right yeah you understand kind of what she's gone through and then when she has this interaction with saw and she sees the the message from galen and then mm-hmm. that's all destroyed yeah she becomes the the hope of the rebellion yeah. right yeah and one of the things that this message does is it plugs one of those major plot holes from a new hope mm-hmm. this idea that this thermal exhaust port was left and then all of a sudden it led to a chain reaction that it that blew up the death star so right. this is something people are always like this is too much this is an oversimplification of this massive battle station but what they've done here they've retconned in the idea that galen put all of that together yeah and i think that's genius it is brilliant yeah. it's it's a little off base from the character because he he was so much more focused in on the science of the kyber crystals from Catalyst. But the fact that he's the one that did that, mm-hmm. I think, is just spot on. Yeah. I thought it was great. Yeah. And it makes so much sense. And it gives Jin that motivation because that's when you see it flip, right? Yeah. In her. She, she sees her father. She hasn't seen him for 15 years. He tells her that he is this altruistic man. He's planted this in. He's been forced into completing the Death Star because his idea, Galen's whole idea here is that... They're going to finish it with or without me. Yeah. Right? One way or another, they're going to find a way to complete the Death Star and rain havoc on the universe. This way, he implanted himself. He put himself in a position of authority and then executed this plan. Yeah. I thought this was great. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. A couple of the other characters here. We get Bodhi Rook, which is this defecting Imperial soldier here that Sajerera captures. And he uses this really weird beast. Yeah, it's like a slug lie yeah. detector. Yeah, that yeah. was strange, right? That was weird. That's up there with the scene in Force Awakens with uh, Han's yeah. um, ship there. That was weird. <laughs> yeah, it was strange. I felt that was the only thing that kind of took me out of yeah. this whole movie mm-hmm. was that I think they tried to shoehorn in a beast because we needed a beast for the Star Wars movie. Right? Yeah, you got to. And I think they kind of put that in there just to kind of tick that one box. But when I thought about it a bit more, it kind of made a 
bit more sense because you know we have Saw. He's a bit crazy, a bit spun. He doesn't yep. really trust anything that's going on. Even when Jin shows up, he's questioning whether or not this yeah, is a trap, right? right? And again, that comes into why I like Saw so much is that he's this wily-eyed, crazy yeah. dude. He doesn't believe anything that's going on. Mm-hmm. It's almost when he talks, it's almost like he's seeing like visions in that that he doesn't quite believe everything that's there. Which is so cool because I really want to see the the middle of this character, right? From from Clone Wars to Rogue One, what happened to make this guy just so crazy and extreme? Like, yeah, and yeah. I hope we get some of that in the Rebels because they, yeah. they they were just released today. Dave Filoni talking over a clip about how they've integrated Saw into Rebels. Force Whitaker's reprising the role of oh, the voice. Man. Cool. And his voice isn't the same. It's not the yes, same kind of... Yes, that's even better. <laughs> but uh, I don't know, man. I like the yeah, voice. You, you I it. like the voice. But that's cool because yeah, I think you and I, way back in uh, in Nerd when we've been calling it, we're like, yeah. if anyone's going to show up, it's going to be like Saw Gerrera or maybe Krennic, right? Yeah. So that's great. And then as all of this is, is kind of happening on Jeddah, we do finally pan up to the Death Star. So it's, it's kind of floating above Jeddah. They're, they're bringing the Kybers up to it. And we get the introduction to Grand Moff Tarkin here. A returning Peter Cushing, who's been dead since 1994. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> what did you think, first of all, of the CGI? Because personally, yeah. I thought the reflection off of the window was all we were going to get when I first saw this scene. Yes, yeah, see, that reflection off the window is, is all I thought we needed initially. Yeah. Initially. And then when he turned around, I was like, whoa. Because I don't know, like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big gamer. And I pay a lot of attention to like the CGI and how it looks. And, and the minute I see those eyes start going doughy, it, it, it throws me off. Yeah. And I found that. And again, I just watched A New Hope going into this. And Tarkin's not that tall. But he looked huge in this movie. He was towering. And I guess yeah. he's six feet. All right, a tumbling saber out there called me out, so that's great. But um, <laughs> but he, he just looked beastly to me. But I, apart from that, the CGI was pretty great. This is this is the best we've gotten since Robert Downey Jr. Oh, in yeah. Civil War, right? It, it looked good. And you know what? This movie could not operate without Tarkin, especially after reading Catalyst. You needed this character in there. Fully agree there, man. Like The rivalry between Krennic and Tarkin that we get in Catalyst has to carry through to this point right. because we do have Tarkin governing the Death Star in A New Hope. We needed him in this film. Yes. More than just a, hey, I'm here at the end. Right. You know, I'm Grand Moff Tarkin. I'm here to take over the Death Star. (laughs) The aspect in Callus that's heavily focused in on is this rivalry and them stabbing each other in the back and going back and forth. And the CGI here, like, I agree with you. The first couple of scenes, I was thrown off a bit, like a bit of that Uncanny Valley type thing where it's like, I... I kind of can recognize that, and I know that this isn't real, mm-hmm. but as the film went, I got more and more into this character, and I loved the speech. Oh. When he says, you may fire when ready, oh, towards the man. end, that's, like, I'm sure they've just clipped that right out of A New Hope, yeah. but I friggin' love that. Love it, right? And the thing is, because, you know, going into Catalyst, seeing that dynamic and uh, the relationship between the two, their bantering going back and forth, I love it. And then... In this movie, I want to like it, but again, because he's CGI to the max, it took me out of the of, of the important scenes between Krennic and Tarkin. Because I, I think Krennic, uh, Ben Middleson, is just great. He's yeah. so cool. Like, the villain that he plays and just the fact to see that he's putting so much effort to make this Death Star and, and Tarkin's like, yeah, it's mine. Yeah. You know? Love it. And that carries through from Catalyst, too, this, exactly. this idea of Krennic. and. Like, like you said, Ben Middleton kills it. This yes. is one of my favorite Star Wars villains to date. Love it, yeah. One thing, and I felt this right through Catalyst too. he always seems like he's teetering on the edge of losing control. Yes. And I don't know if that's portrayal by Ben Middleton or how it's written or whatever, but I did feel that right through Catalyst. Like, he always seemed to be in control, yeah. but like one snap of the finger and everything was done, right? And that's, we see this, you know, time and time again yeah. in the film is that he's 
got a full grasp on the situation, and then all of a sudden it's out of his hands. Yeah, again. and you see that escalate to the, I think the final scene between him and Tarkin when yeah. he just kind of loses it when Tarkin does say, "Yeah, I'm going to take yeah. you know pretty much the rights to this Death Star," and then he turns his back and just kind of yells at him. Yeah, and I just no one can deliver that line the way he does like like Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah, yeah, perfect casting. Yeah, absolutely fantastic, and that's like strung right through here. The casting, mm-hmm. just fantastic. Yeah, like down to the voice of K2SO. Like yes. every character in here just was portrayed so well Mm -hmm. and when we're up here in the death star we do get the first testing of the death star so up and through catalyst now we have not had a full test of the death star i thought it was was strange that it was upside down i didn't quite get what was going on there yeah or how that happened like i don't i don't get the physics of it all right but um (laughs) what did you think of the idea of the death star firing prior to alderaan like because we're made to believe through the whole ot that the firing on Alderaan was the first time it was fired. But when I went back and rewatched A New Hope, mm-hmm. Tarkin does say we must demonstrate the full capacity of this battle exactly. station. Yeah. And as soon as that clicked in my head, I thought to myself, well, they've never demonstrated, like, they've never blown up a planet. And yes. that makes perfect sense why they've just blown up Jeddah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that worked pretty well for me. Like you said, watching New Hope, and once he uses that line, you're like, okay, this makes sense because of the full capacity, yeah. power of the Death Star. So I, I liked it, I, and it made sense in this movie because this movie, people have to realize this: um, the Death Star is a character, yeah, in a sense, right? Just so, totally, yeah. yeah, yeah. The destruction of Jeddah, yeah, pretty cool, eh? It, it really was, yeah. yeah. And again, Gareth Edwards, you know, yeah. destruction. Yes, yeah, scale. That. Yes, yeah. just how big this felt on the screen, this massive chunk of Earth coming at yeah. you, right? It's not to the scale of, you know, blowing up Alderaan, mm-hmm. but just that feeling. And then just saw at the end oh, there, just yeah. unbuckling everything yeah. and just saying, look, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Really great scene there. It and, was. You know, this this whole opening act, like this is where people had a bit of issues, I think, talking to the people who aren't familiar with the book or maybe not as much the universe. But I love this opening act. Mm-hmm. I thought it, it kind of drove home for me what this movie was going to be about and introduced aspects of these characters that I thought were really important going forward. Yeah, completely agree. And kind of moving forward here through the, the plot of Rogue One, we end up now, once we've had Jin, Cassian, and K2 escaping Jeddah and moving off planet, they, they track Galen now to this research facility. And, and this again, where we see Cassian, I think, developing a bit more in character because he's ordered to kill Galen, right. Here, right? Exploring some of that aspects of the rebellion that isn't quite black and white mm-hmm. anymore, right? And I love this aspect of this film. Is it, it's a lot about this, this gray part of war, right? This down, dirty, got to do what you got to do here. They're talking about taking the scientist that's responsible for building the Death Star here. That's right. Yeah, because this is a gritty film. This is like Private Ryan going on, yeah, basically, exactly. in the Star Wars world, right? Yeah. yeah. And then we do see the death of Galen Erso here. Did you feel the weight behind that scene with Jin, with Galen? And it's right after Krennic executes all of the scientists. Yeah. So again, seeing what extents Krennic is willing to go to, to kind of plug up this hole, right? This, this leaked information is the reason that he's lost some of the control of the Death Star. This is why Tarkin has taken it away from Mm -hmm. him. For me personally, seeing Krennic go at these scientists like that, it's so in line with his character from Catalyst. Yes. Because he's done this a couple times before with scientists. It's exactly. just executing these scientists, stopping the leaks at their source here, or what he thinks are the source. That's right. Did you think Krennic was going to kill Galen at any point in this film? You know, through the whole Catalyst book and through this whole movie, I never got the feeling that 
Krennic was willing to kill Galen. I mm-hmm. think he thought he was too valuable to Krennic, right? This was Krennic's ace in the hole, right? Yeah. Through all of Catalyst and through into this movie, the reason the Death Star was completed, you know, under the direction of Krennic was because Galen Erso. Yeah. I never got the feeling that he was going to kill Galen. He did the same thing in the book, right? He mm-hmm. he made threats towards Galen. He kind of he took away Lyra at one yeah. point. And he's doing the same thing here. He's saying, look, this is your fault. This is your punishment. I'm going to kill yeah. all of your scientists here. Yeah. And that's just how Krennic operates. No, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that scene, you know, again, reading Catalyst, there was a little bit of weight to it. But I just don't like how it was handled. I didn't really like how he died, you know, with the bombings going yeah. on. I did like the moment, though, that him and uh, Jin shared. Yeah. Th- that was great. I just, I just thought it was a little weak. You know, the bomb goes off with the bombings sent by the, uh, the rebellion there. Yeah. I just don't like how he bit bit the dust there. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I I kind of liked the fact that he was kind of a casualty of this war. That's true. Yeah, and the fact that we do get to see some X wings and some Y wings and that kind of flying through there, bombing this facility. Yeah, and the fact that he was not killed by Krennic, I think, is important. Yeah, and the fact that he was killed by the rebellion because this is at a point where you could think Jin could go either way now. That's Her true. Her father's been killed by the rebels by mm. accident, nonetheless. Yeah, and she does figure out that Cassian was out there to execute. Her mm-hmm. father, right? So she has all the reason in the world to not trust in the rebellion, to yep. not go forward with them, even though she has this knowledge buried in her head, right? That's right? About this weakness, about getting these specific plans. And she's the key to all of this. And I think that really is a testament to the character development that they don't really stray from her line of this is what I have to do. My father has sent me down this path and, you know, this is what she's meant to do, mm-hmm. I feel. And, you know, they play a lot with this idea of hope in this film. Like, yeah. they almost hit you over the head with it. They do. But she becomes, to me, the new hope of the rebellion mm-hmm. because she's got this buried in her mind, right? Yeah. And without her, like, we talked about Stardust and all that. Without her, they would have never found those plants. No, not at all. So I, I like, yeah, I like the fact that he was killed the way he was because I think it doesn't really fit in the character of Krennic to execute him like that. Yeah. So um, I'm actually I can't remember exactly here, but we have to talk a bit about Vader. Oh, like let's oh, talk about you? this this first <laughs> scene where we do have the interaction of Krennic with Vader, which is fan. Fantastic. I it's did, incredible. You know, I didn't see the trailers. I didn't yeah. know that Krennic and Vader are going to have any interaction. Oh, okay. And I love the fact that, you know, Krennic coming into this, he's a very strong character, but he was terrified of Vader. Right. right? Just towered over him. And it's cool because going into this scene, right, um, throughout the whole movie, every planet that we've seen has had a title. Yeah. We're introduced to this lava pit looking uh, planet, which is obviously Mustafar. Definitely. No title. And we get to see the castle of Vader, which is cool because um, I believe, what was it? We were meant to get a castle in Empire. Yep. Yeah, but they took that out and we got it here in Rogue One. Yeah, and there's Ralph McQuarrie art of a castle on Mustafar. Mm-hmm. And it's it's fantastic. It makes perfect sense that he would build his sanctuary. There, it right? makes so much sense. And I guess this, this castle is built uh, in, in that book, the visual book you, you mentioned. I guess it talks about how it's built over like a Sith. A yep. Sith uh, cave, yep. right? Where basically Vader's taking Jedi's to uh, torture and kill. Yeah. So there's a lot of history going there, which leaves hope that we could get another Vader movie. Well, there's a line I think in Rebels that say Mustafar is a planet that Jedi's go to die. Yes, yeah, season one to Kanan. I think yeah. Kanan references that. Yeah, and that's yeah. a direct to his Vader's taking them there to kill him. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, and then the the opening scene, we kind of skipped ahead there a bit, yeah. but him in the back to tank. Like oh. we, we speculated for months oh. about who is in the back. To yeah, tank. and I think as we got closer, we were starting to, pretty, you know, assume it's going to be Vader. Yeah. But Anakin, I guess, yeah. really, 
right? Man, like that the way that that was executed yeah. on film, the like the mist, and oh. you just get this frame. I was like, to me, just I was enough. like, are they going to show enough to say that it's Hayden that, that yeah, he, he reprised it? Oh. But it? Didn't quite get there. Just enough because you look at the mist. Like, can I see anything? Yeah, and, yeah. I didn't know if they're gonna, I, like, oh. I really thought they're going to show a little bit more of his face. And yeah. That, but I think it was so perfectly executed because you know through some of this you get a little bit of like slasher type you know villain from this right oh, yeah. he's, he's always in the mist he's kind of always behind dark he's close shadows in, like and yeah. it's i think it was really cool and you do see that you know he doesn't have any of his limbs on there nope. and it seems like he needs to be taking these back to treatments to keep himself alive even though he's got all this cybernetics attached to him yeah that's right i guess he does need that to uh to stay alive it, i just think it's so interesting for the character to you know live on this planet that where he's basically born i mean yeah. vader is was born yeah. basically on mustafar right and the fact that he remains there, knowing that that's where he's defeated by the hands of Obi Wan, yeah. I just think that's incredible. It just adds more layers to Vader, yeah. which again enhances experience to Episode Four. Exactly, and yeah. it brings a lot more to the prequels. I think, like, I it think does. this movie did an excellent job of bridging the gap between the prequels and the original trilogy. It felt like an original trilogy movie, yeah. but it also layered in elements of the prequels there's some of the ships there's some of the the ground assault vehicles and so the ideas and concepts that we do get in this that really bridge that gap and i thought it did really well respecting what came before again something that rebels does really well too it leads into all of this it makes like what appeared as like the shiny bright prequel and then you have your ot which is your your dirty used universe this is a great segue between those two eras of star wars it really is this is the first time in the star wars movies that we actually get you know something that references the books the comics the cartoons and then the prequels which is cool because force awakens kind of stays away from the prequels where i feel this bridges the gap more so like you said which i really appreciate force awakens was building new territory it was trying to build up a new foundation Mm. on what they had before but it was leveraging a lot of the fact that they need to springboard this whole new franchise where this was trying to tuck itself into a very small part of it Mm -hmm. but tell a very grand story they they were respecting what came before and what comes after but also they're trying to expand a narrative that engaged the audience right Mm -hmm. this is a film that doesn't have the benefit of us not knowing what happens at the end. We know exactly to a degree what happens at the end. And we all assumed that all the characters were going to die. So you have to keep everyone engaged in a story and this has got to be one of the first movies that's, you know, has a lot before it and has a lot after it that they've got to respect too. And then you're factoring in books and all this stuff. There's a lot of material to pay attention to and to build into. So you're quite constrained with this movie and they're still able to pull off scenes like this Vader Krennic scene and, and working in Mustafar and working in all these different elements and these layers of the Star Wars universe and execute it the way they did. I just can't believe like how, how well it's put together. Incredible. Now for me now, I liked. I didn't mind the uh, the quote. You know, choking on your choking on yeah. your. Um, what do you say? Aspirations. I think. Yes. Yeah. Did that bother you? Because I know some people were like, "Ah, it's long on the nose." For me, it worked. It's Vader. Yeah, it's it's a Vader line. Yeah, I think yeah. you know you get elements and hints of Anakin there. I think. Yeah. Like I I think that makes sense. That's something that maybe an OT Vader really wouldn't say. Mm-hmm. But I think coming out of that, like I, it worked for me. Okay. No, cool. I kind of liked it. Yeah. Okay. And awesome. Didn't bother me. Yeah, we needed no. that. We need the first yeah. choke. Yeah. And then skipping back to Yavin four here, I loved seeing. I've said I love this. Like I freaking <laughs> love this movie, but I really like seeing the base here. 
and you're seeing the elements that are building on a new hope kind of this in the jungle like right down to the dude with the radar gun right, right? oh yeah the tall tower there yeah, it's yeah. so cool Look out tower. Yeah. x-wings and y-wings the, the ghost is in yeah, there the silly helmets right yeah yeah all of that and they just capture that aesthetic of the 70s so well like yeah. it's meticulous like some of this is down to like like the strap color and everything yeah. right it, yeah yeah, absolutely. It really is made to, you know, you watch this movie, you watch episode four. They're yeah. just hand-to-hand. Yeah. It totally is. And and with this gathering at Yavin 4 here, I get a feeling that this is the first time that a lot of these cells are sitting in the same place. Like, we have this council. Mm-hmm. We have this massive gathering where we do have Jin expressing how they need to go out and steal the Death Star plans. And she's pleading with them, right, mm-hmm. about the, the hope and and it's the lack of trust that they have for Jin because she's holding everything in her head. Mm-hmm. This is something I didn't really grasp when I was watching the movie about how important she is to the rebellion. And you just don't have this agreement among them. Like you see people saying, you know, we don't have a chance against this type of power. And this is the aspect I think that really ties well into Rebels is that in Rebels, we're seeing all these different cells, all these mentions of different cells. We, we have reference to Dodano, which is in this film, like minor speaking lines, but he's standing there beside Mon Mothma at the start. We've got the Mon Calamari. And yeah. like, I love this scene here. We got Bail Organa finally having some speaking scenes here and they're yes. debating whether or not to go to Scarif to steal these Death Star plans. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I like, I like this scene. It's better than, you know, the Rebel Alliance form that we see in force awakens when they have their meeting yeah but there's some parts that were a little weak for me you know um mon matha didn't really do do much she, yeah. she, she, she's just kind of there and then some of the other uh members were willing to like give up i thought that's kind of weird because they've come so far and some of them were just like yeah we're, we're not with you on this one and then they, they came to the conclusion that we're not we're not going to assist you guys yeah. we're not going to go to uh scarif and i was like the Rebel Alliance, like you guys, you guys got to do this. I mean, it added weight later on, but I think it kind of would have been cooler if it was like, kind of like Lost Stars. Like this is a, this is a mission. It's going to be a tough mission. A lot of you guys aren't going to make it out, but you know, you take this upon yourselves to get it done. And I think that does happen in Lost Stars, and these guys know like what they're in for. They're not going to make it out, and they go in there and they do what they do, and it kind of adds more weight to the battle, yeah, and to the members. Whereas opposed to this was like a complete three sixty from that. So it's interesting because yeah. maybe it's because I've only seen it once, but yeah. I like this aspect that they did seem to not be a cohesive unit yet because that yep. makes sense to me coming out of rebels that they're they're still just different cells they're, they're slowly coming together and mm-hmm. and mon mothma is still referred to as senator yeah and bail organa is still referred to as senator and he's and from the books like lost stars and that you get this idea that he's always been a bit antagonistic towards the empire yeah so you get the feeling there that he understands what's coming because they haven't gone to full outright war. And this right. is described in the crawl, the opening text to a new hope. And even in lost stars, it's mentioned of this is the first battle of the rebel Alliance versus the empire. This is yeah. the start of the galactic civil war. Right. So I do like that aspect that the, the Alliance isn't totally in sync with each other. It doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be a commanding officer because it's about the committee, right? That's right. And I think that builds on the whole New Republic idea and everything's about committee and debating mm-hmm. and politics and democracy. That's right. Mm-hmm. And it made sense to me that the, the Mon Calamari were like, screw this, we're going with them. Yeah. And I really like that. And you do get that smirk from Mon Mothma when she's talking to Bale yeah. when the communications officer runs up to her and says, you know, they've taken off. Yeah. And we've had, you know, Rogue One takes off. And yeah. I, I really like that. Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel that that ties into Rebels better than having a fully cohesive unit that is, uh, yeah, we're going out there to battle. So yeah, this right. is a brand new thing for the, the Rebellion. They're still not the Alliance yet. They're still Rebels, but not the Alliance. That's tag right, yet. right. Yeah, they're, that's my they're, take on it. That makes sense because they're not very experienced, right? They're, they're, they're no. new forming, yeah. 
And that this dialogue that we have between Mon, Mothma, and Bell here, I really enjoy this because we get a, we, we get a nod to Obi Wan Kenobi here. Yes, and this helps again bridge the gap between the the prequels and A New Hope. Yeah, and, and Ahsoka's novel. Yes, right? yeah, yes, yeah. and it's you know Bail is the one that knows about Obi Wan. It's that's explored in the Ahsoka novel, yeah. and the fact that she refers directly to his Jedi friend. Yes. And it's a cool line in here from Bale and from Mon is that war is inevitable. Mm -hmm. And so, again, we haven't had the full outbreak of the Galactic Civil War yet. And that's why Bale decides to contact Obi-Wan and send his daughter, the person he trusts the most in the world or whatever, to go and and make contact with Obi-Wan. So I like that aspect of it because it helped in my head make a bit more sense of why the Tantive Four is over Tatooine originally, where they were going, and why Leia was on that ship. Yes. She was on that ship to make contact. I was always a bit confused why Leia was the one that had the plans, Mm -hmm. but now it makes sense. She has them because, well, she was given them, but she was already on her way to see Obi-Wan. Exactly. Yeah, which is so cool. And then we also get on the intercom Captain Captain Attilies. Yeah. Right? I was like, oh, man. Yeah, so great. Perfect. Let's talk a bit about here, too, some of the cameos. So we, we've discussed a lot of the OT and prequel cameos with Bale and Mon. What did you think about the slightly shoehorned in C-3PO R2-D2 cameo? It's cool. It's, yeah. you got to have them in there. They're essentials, you right? you got to have them in there. And uh, like I, I mentioned before, those are two of my favorite droids. Yeah. So I, I appreciate those two showing up. Some people on the internet were a bit pissed at the idea that it didn't make sense that they were kind of standing there waving or whatever when all these <laughs> ships are taking off. And then they have to be on the tent of four by the time A New Hope rolls around. Yeah. But I'm like, ah, that's a nitpicking match. Yeah. To the extreme. Right, yeah. (laughs) I'm okay with that. And Rebels cameos, which I almost flew at, like, so when we were in the theater, I wasn't beside Troy. Troy was a couple people down. Yeah. And uh, when they said over the intercom, General Sendula report to wherever, (laughs) I was like, I whipped my head to the left, thinking that Troy was direct to my left. And I was, my buddy Tyler was sitting there, and I looked right at him. He kind of looked at me like, what? What? I was like, oh my God, they just said General Sendula. Oh, man. Blew my brain apart that they threw that in there. See, it's, you know, that's part of the reason why I had to see this like for a second time immediately because everyone's talking about that. You were telling yeah. me about it. I was like, I missed that. Like I, I completely missed it. it went yeah. right over my head. So second view and I'm there just like, you know, I got to hear this. I got to hear this. And I hear it twice. Yeah. And I, I lost it, man. I love this because I'm a huge fan of Lords of the Sith, if you guys haven't realized. And whether it's Cham or Hero they're talking about, I appreciate it. Uh, that scene, we do realize that two people at least are coming out of Rebels, yeah. whether it's Cham or Hera and Chopper. Yeah. You do see Chopper. I missed which Chopper. Which pointed out to me, though. I missed it the first yeah. time. It was pointed out to me by one of the guys in the Commonwealth that Chopper does make an appearance That's in the awesome. scene when the communications officer is running up to, to right. Mon. And That's you right. caught him the and same I, time. And I did catch him because yeah. you guys told me about that. So appreciate it. So, you know, that uh, that rebel base there, a lot of stuff comes out of it on oh, Yavin. Yes. A lot of stuff comes out. Yeah, And I think maybe this is where Rebels is driving towards. That eventually... And we have a couple more seasons left, potentially. I don't know if what they're going to try to squeeze out of it, if they're going to do, you know, start breaking it down into six-month gaps or whatever, because we've been doing basically a year per episode. Yeah. And whether or not we're going to end basically with either the Battle of Scarif or on Yavin. That's right. Yeah. And that's how Rebels is going to end. It's going to tie directly into Rogue One. Like, that, right. there's a lot of potential there for that, right? Oh, man. I, I can't wait to, to see what happens, because we're, we're running low on Jedis at yes. this point, for sure. Yeah. We are. So... And it's at this point in the film, I think, where everything starts to the intensity really starts to pick up. We have we have Jen, Jen, <laughs> we have Jin and Chirrut and Baze. Let's we haven't really talked much about Chirrut here. Yeah, let's let's talk a bit about those characters. Yeah. 
like I know you've been wanting to see this this guy's portrayal, Donnie Yen's yes. portrayal of Chirrut on screen. Mm-hmm. Let me know your thoughts here of this character going all the way back to Jeddah. I, I loved his introduction. There's such a, like a sincereness to this character, you know, right away when he's he's mentioning and talking about um uh, the Kyra crystals and hey yeah. you come over here and he plays the blind character so well yeah. and, and he's funny. That scene when they you know the, the troopers put the mask over him and he's like really I'm yeah. blind yeah. I thought honestly it was the funniest yeah. scene in the movie for me. I love Howling, yeah. love that. And and the way he fights when he kind of like gears towards his uh his his senses uh even though he's not really using the force but he he believes in the force and when he he takes down the troopers with the stick. I love that. I'm a, I'm a big fan of kung fu and all that kind of stuff. So to see that character kick ass without a lightsaber or 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 a blaster that was really cool. So I love the character. I just wish we got a bit more. I really do, but like you said, now that we do get the books coming out, yeah, I'll, um, I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. his fight sequences were oh, the best. Like, awesome. I enjoyed his fighting the most. Like, mm. even more so than some of the lightsaber stuff we've seen in the past. Yeah, like, even going back to the prequels with the the really rapid and, and mm. fast paced lightsaber battles. Yeah. This was like this. You felt when he was hitting the stormtroopers, mm-hmm. like even to the point where I think some of their face masks were busting open yeah. and. Oh man, he's he was so good. Incredible. And this I'm one with the force, the force is oh. with me. This chant that he does. Yeah. And again, like the kyber crystal around Jin's neck. That was one of the aspects I really liked about connecting those two characters. Because mm-hmm. this is another thing that you and I talked about this coming to the theater. We've seen this in a lot of movies with Suicide Squad and all these other movies that you put a cast of characters together that have really nothing in common, no common background, you know, they haven't really experienced much with each other, they don't mm-hmm. have this relationship or this responsibility towards a friendship here, really with any of these characters when you put them together. Yeah. But at the end of the movie, they're kind of like a family. Yes. And the way that they connected up Jin and Chirrut with the Kyber Crystal, the fact that he trusted her mm-hmm. because she had that around her neck, which ties into Lyra. Like, it's, it's just beautifully strung it through, really I is. think, there. And I think this this character of Donnie Yen and, and Bayes too, he's yeah. he's another fantastic character. And mm-hmm. I like their kind of interplay there. They seem to have this really tight bond with one yes. another, protecting each other. Chirrut is kind of this crazy guy. Yeah. Baze is a bit more grounded, yes. and they kind of have each other's backs. Like that, that whole aspect of it, this this give and take between these two characters, mm-hmm. it really makes you want to understand these characters a bit more. And I think that's a testament to a lot of the writing. Is mm-hmm. we keep saying things like, "I want to see more Baze and Chirrut. I want to yeah. see more Cassian and Jin. I want to explore a bit more of Krennic and his relationship with with Tarkin." Mm-hmm. As you know, like all these aspects of this film we want to see more of Mm -hmm. and that's something that's different from some of these other ensemble films where i'm kind of rolling my eyes at these characters like you would never do that for this character exactly and i think it's more believable for me at least with these cast of characters is once we get to this point where they're assembling to go to scarif i believe it like and cassian shows up with a crew of kind of this ragtag rebel guys Mm -hmm. and you've got Jin there she's really passionate each character seems to have enough motivation that i feel is believable that they would take this risk and basically go on the suicide mission to scarif Mm -hmm. for the greater good and, you know, one of the tags here is it's ordinary people doing extraordinary things. It's not Jedi. You know, it's it's these characters that really have no business of being part of even this rebel alliance, right? Yeah. They have no affiliation. They have no responsibility to exactly. this. Other than the fact that they're trying to do the right thing. Yeah. And it makes sense to me that these characters have come together and bonded over that aspect. Even Bodhi Rook, this, this defective yeah. Imperial soldier or, or cargo pilot, it makes sense. Because another fantastically acted character, right? He really is. Yeah, he's very... Very believable. You really do care for this character, what he's done t- to get where he is in, in this movie. I, I really appreciate that character a lot. Actually, I think he's actually kind of underrated. He doesn't actually get enough talk actually throughout this movie. I no, think. and that, that's really a common good. thing here. Yeah. Again, I'd like to see a comic book exploring yeah. a bit of 
Bodhi's background. Yeah. Like Marvel does this great thing where they do five issue arcs mm-hmm. on characters and focus in on a certain aspect of them. And I think a lot of these characters would benefit from that. Like you take Bodhi Rook mm-hmm. and you explore him in a five issue arc where he's part of the Imperial Force and you yeah. understand a bit of why he becomes disenfranchised with the Empire because right. it's something that's explored in Lost Stars as yes. well, right? What makes him defect? Yes. That's the big question, right? And you know, some and you can listen to this and, and say that I'm, a, I'm you know, giving a lot of credit to the idea that we could expand here and it's mm. not done in the film. I, you know, I think I'm saying that because I love the expansion and growing with the Star Wars universe mm. as a mega Star Wars fan or as on CTV they call me Star Wars super fan. Yeah. <laughs> um, but to me personally, I think that's just because we're so involved in the universe mm-hmm. and we like seeing the expansion of characters and we have the ability to see the expansion of these characters into different media types. But is the film weaker because of that? I'd still say no. Yeah, see, for me, it kind of is. And I and I get why they did what they did, because you, you really can't give backstory to all these characters, right? Mm-hmm. But that's the thing with, with Force Awakens, I feel like there is more, you know, covered with these characters. Like we don't really need I mean, you've been reading Poe more than I have, but do we really need a Poe comic? I mean, we, we got a good idea of the character in that movie in the first place, but it's a bonus that we get yeah. content more of him. And then the Young Readers book for, for Finn and what have you. I just feel like Force Awakens, those characters were, were more likable and more fleshed out yeah. as opposed to as opposed to this. But it's, it's different times too because this is like a gritty, darker movie. Yeah, You know, it's serving a different purpose. It, it definitely yeah. is. And I, yeah. I, I agree with some aspects there, yeah. but I feel too with Force Awakens, a lot of your main characters like Chewie, Han, Luke, Leia, you yeah. understand these characters, right? Yeah. And you're really focusing in on Force Awakens on two characters mm. with a side character of Poe because yeah. Poe is in the start and then disappears, right? That's true. You're really focusing in on Rey mm. and Finn and you yeah. spend a lot of time with these two characters. Yeah. Where this movie doesn't have the, the time to benefit exactly. each individual character yeah. and, and whether or not that makes the ensemble weaker. Mm-hmm. You take one of these characters out, and I don't think you still have that same cohesion. I think you need each one of these characters because they do something very specific in the film. Yeah, but at the same time, I, I, I don't. It's it's, yeah. hard, it's hard to say because I like all the characters and I like yeah. what they do together. And I For think sure. you remove one of them, mm-hmm. and it becomes a different feel to the movie. You, you're relying on a different character to do something that maybe isn't within their their arc, right? Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting thing to debate because sure. I think it's something that maybe some of this is going to change when I do see it for a second time. And I'm still in this kind of twilight, this honeymoon phase with this movie. Yeah. And I'm seeing a lot of this through my my wide-eyed, like, oh, my God, we're getting another <laughs> Star Wars film here. And maybe yeah. I'll come a bit more down to earth and realize some of the, the holes and flaws in this. Because and, every movie has them. Right? And every yeah. movie does. Yeah. And, like, you can't do everything perfectly. Yeah. But I think the way a lot of this is executed is is spot on. Top notch. Yeah. Let's get. We've been already going over an hour here, but let's get into the ground assault here yes. on Scarif and the introduction of things like the U wings and the Tie Strikers and the Scarif Troopers, yeah. the ATACT, like all these elements coming together in probably the best ground battle since Hoth. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And director Gareth Edwards, he did say in an interview that when he was young, he he loved Empire like the rest of us. But he loved the scene in the trenches. Oh, cool. Of when they're, you know, when you do see the adats on the horizon yeah. here. And he really wanted to expand on that. And I really do see a lot of those elements built into this ground battle mm-hmm. scene. I love what they've done here. It's such a cool setting because we've never seen these characters in a setting like this before. No, this oh. jungle setting. We yeah. do see each character has their moment. Chirrut has his moment yeah. where he goes out and pulls the handle. 
Bodie oh. has his moment with the, the big cable and all that and hooking up the satellite mm-hmm. and, and Baze has his moment. So big time. Like, yeah. And he kind of flips and fully, cause he seems to be again, one of these characters that was a guardian and that wasn't, and that mm-hmm. didn't really grasp like he the lost force. The faith somewhere along the lines. Yeah. yeah. And he kind of really moves into that after the death of Chirrut. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just this whole sequence. It's just fantastic. And you get the, the X-Wings flying in at one point. Oh. And then, like again, we're seeing atmospheric battles here, something that we're not really used to. Like yeah. We've always seen the X-Wings up in space. And now having them contrast against like this beautiful beach setting and all yeah, that. Yeah, because we saw for two seconds of Force Awakens, but it wasn't enough, right? No, you know, I guess, yeah, I guess that's right. But yeah. it wasn't enough. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it, was just, it was pretty small. Yeah. And that was one of yeah. my favorite scenes in Force Awakens. I when love you have the X-Wings gliding oh, along that. the yeah. water there. And throughout the sequence, we get like the introduction, like I said, of the Ewings and of the Tie Strikers. What what are your thoughts of them never really appearing again? Like like, are you okay with the fact that they introduced like the Scarif Troopers and the Hover Tank Drivers and the Ewings and the and the, and the Tie Strikers? Yeah. And so they're adding elements to the universe that aren't present in the OT, so it makes kind of that that leap a bit harder to believe. Yeah, it is kind of weird. I mean, it's a good way to sell toys. Yeah. But um, I guess the only way we can think of is they they lost a lot. They lost a lot of uh, of men, yeah, and women during this time in in the movie. But you, it is a little disjointed, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I like. I think it's something that for every Star Wars movie, they do have new troopers introduced. Yes, and I'm a sucker. Like I've got them all lined up here. <laughs> Looking right at podcasting them. here. Like, and I'm yeah. always going to be suckered. Like the one thing I asked for for Christmas, I yeah. want the Tie Striker Lego set. Oh like, man! So I'm really into all this, and I think in my head, and I do this a lot with Marvel comics, mm-hmm. is that you make up ideas in your head why the U-wing is in present. Yeah. You know, maybe it's more of a troop transport or something like that. The Tie Strikers are maybe some sort of test, or maybe they only fly in atmosphere better, right? Yeah. In my head, I, you, you can kind of work around things and all that, and these are small nitpicky elements, yeah. right? Like this isn't going to make or break the movie. I love seeing new ships, and I love seeing new troopers, and this whole like saving Private Ryan. Yeah. We're on the beach, we're in the jungle. They're running away from Adats, and the fact that you know when Chirrut's sitting there and he hears the Adats, and he just says, "Run!" Yeah, oh, so good, incredible. Yeah, this this last act here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this is this is so epic. You know, I'm going to put myself on a limb here. I think this is one of the, if not the best battles. This whole sequence when we go from the ground assault right through to the space battle yeah. in a Star Wars movie. Like, you, you can, seriously, <laughs> like yeah. the Hoth battle yeah. is the aspect of Empire that really makes me love that movie, yeah. and that's what puts it on a pinnacle for me. Yeah. But this battle, it's like, just... I have to see it again. Yeah. But when you combine this with the space battle mm-hmm. like, it's incredible because it really like is. you look at return of the jedi that's, i love that one that's, that's the only time one. when we yeah. get like a space battle happening with a ground assault yeah but the ground assault is so much more epic scale yeah definitely. than it is on endor and the space battle i give you the space battle is much more epic on endor because you have yeah. the death star super star destroyers it. yeah you know so the much going whole on. rebel fleet going mm-hmm. on here but I'd say, I'd say the ground assault's the best. Maybe yeah. the, the space battle leaves a little or legs a bit behind Return of the Jedi, but it's yeah. still fantastic. There's some great scenes in this space battle yeah. as well. You know, particularly when the Rebel fleet starts coming out of hyperspace and boom, boom, boom. And you get the Star Destroyers yeah. and the Hammerhead ship crashing into the Star Destroyer. Oh, that's my favorite. I love what they did there. I was like, what is he doing? I was like, oh, oh, he's going for the kill. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Sold. Well, I thought yeah. it was like a kamikaze type mission. Yeah. Just like ram it into like oh. the, 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 the command center or whatever. Yeah. But the fact that, and again, this comes down to Gareth Edwards and scale on the, the way scale. they crashed yeah. into each other. and It's incredible because the impact you see from the outside, okay, like, this is great. And then actually goes inside the ship itself. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, you get a real sense of the destruction. Incredible stuff. We get the appearance of Red Squadron and Gold Squadron. Yeah. You and get blue too. 
Blue Squadron's yeah, a new Blue squadron yeah, we haven't yeah. seen before, yeah. so we get a lot of new characters here mm-hmm. and a lot of repurposed a new hope footage. You I told believe. me about this. Yeah. Like it, I think it will looks like I don't. It hasn't really been confirmed, but my mm-hmm. guess is that they've taken old footage, maybe unused or slightly tweaked footage from a new hope, and just reversed the guys in like digitally reversed them cool. so they look like they're sitting differently. But yeah. like these are characters that they weren't digitally enhanced or anything like that. They've taken old footage, I think, and just kind of dropped them in. Um, no bigs, no wedge, no, um, and no porkins, which that's okay. I'm fine with like, we had enough cameos in this that's film. True, yeah. We do get a lot of the call sign of red five, which is Luke's call sign. Yes. In a new hope. And that character does meet his demise in this. And that opens up kind of the slot for Luke. Yeah. Right? I love that. Yeah. Incredible callback. Yeah. So overall, what did you think of the action in this film? Oh, well, the action is just incredible. Yeah. It, 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 but it gets even better because we got Vader at the end of all this. Like, Man. as if you didn't think it could get any better. No, the red like, lightsaber lights up. Let's, let's quickly just get through this end so we can okay. sequence here where we do have Jin obtaining the Death Star plans yeah. with, you know, the code Stardust, which I friggin' like, I don't want to say I called it, but I friggin' called it. <laughs> and this whole sequence with K2SO, his death scene. Oh, that is powerful. That's probably hit me the most. Yeah, to be honest, very, yeah. very powerful. And yeah. and the fact that he sacrificed himself, and he's not a character that you fully get that he would do that. Mm-hmm. But when it's happening, like this makes perfect sense what he's doing here. And that's why I think he had the most development because yeah. he's a complete three sixty from when we first introduced the character yeah. to the end, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like when he says, you know, the captain says, "You're you are my friend, so I will not kill you." Type yeah. thing, right? And the fact that he goes right down to sacrificing himself. And that was an appropriate death scene, I think, for Mm. this. And this is something that I wasn't expecting them to go down this path where they kill literally everybody. Everyone, yeah. And with some of the interviews, you talked to Gareth Edwards and some of the writers, they didn't think this was going to happen this way either. So original drafts had at least Jin getting off the planet alive because they thought Lucasfilm and Disney were never going to let them kill all the characters off. And they said, this makes sense. Do it. Yeah, because I think they had her signed on for another project. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe voice acting for something. Or they thought they actually were going to get her off that planet. Yeah, Yeah. do another kind of like Rogue 2 or something like that. But we do have this final confrontation between Jin and Krennic. I think it's really appropriate to have these two finally facing off here you know who i am mm-hmm. you know i'm Jin. like it's really cool to see that aspect that krennic is seeing his demise in front of him and it's the daughter of the man that he kind of put all his weight behind and mm-hmm. you know, he had the opportunity to kill lyra and to kill right. Jin a long time ago or send them away yeah. this is the woman that you know forces him into his demise he thinks that the empire's victory is inevitable mm-hmm. but at the end of the day it comes down that like this this face-off is great i love how this ends and ultimately he he you know he's destroyed by his own weapon yeah right it made a lot of sense for me. I get it. I, I do wish there was an Imperial death amongst Imperials. Like, I really do wish he was taken out by his own men. I wish, you know, he failed and, and Vader was the one to choke him out. Yeah. I just, I, I'm lacking just one of those kind of moments, whether it's with Jin or, sorry, whether it's with Galen or with uh, with uh, Krennic. I see what you mean. But, but it, it made total sense. Right? Yeah. It's a complete uh, circle, you know. It made sense. So Yeah, yeah. yeah was, I think well done. And this end sequence was probably the aspect that was changed the most from the trailers. I went back and watched some of the trailers, particularly mm-hmm. the first teaser trailer that we got. Okay. And most of those scenes aren't in this finished film. Yeah. Particularly when we have a scene where Jin, Cassian, and K2 are running across the beach and she has the plans in her hand. Yeah, the big and, box. Yeah. yeah, and they're and they're getting shot up by the ATACTs. Yeah. And then there's the scene where the TIE fighter kind of floats up yeah. when she's walking across the communications yeah, tower. The bridge, yeah. yeah, and you told me that you heard that Gareth Edwards addressed some of that, why that wasn't in the yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, he initially took it out because he felt like it would have been like a repeated scene from what we had earlier where the ATAT got taken out, yeah. the rocket, and then 
got taken out by the, uh, the X-Wing, right? Yeah. So he didn't want to repeat the scene because initially he had the TIE fighter come up. It's about to shoot Jin, and then an X-Wing came and took out the TIE fighter. So he thought he'd scratch that so they're not repeating the yeah. same kind of scenes. And I actually like that choice instead. What they, I, I agree with you, yeah. too. And there's some cool scenes, too, with Krennic, like, walking through the water, among, like, onto oh, the beach that wasn't yeah, in the film either. the cape with the white yeah. gown. Oh. So they've changed some of those elements. It'd be interesting to see if we do get some deleted scenes in that. But yeah. I think it benefited the movie like i have no idea what they're going to do before Mm -hmm. but i think killing all these characters made the most sense and we have this kind of really nice scene at the end where Mm -hmm. Jin and cassian kind of kneel down on the beach here and they're enveloped by the order of of tarkin here to destroy the compromised planet right yeah well and it just makes sense because it adds more weight to new hope right because you kind of take everything for granted when we watch new hope and now we're like wow like these people sacrifice themselves to get these plans over to the rebels and it 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 carries a lot of weight whose death did you feel kind of most emotionally drawn down by I would have to say K2SO. Yeah. Even though he wasn't my favorite character, I feel like I was drawn towards his death the most mm-hmm. because he had the biggest turnaround to yeah. the point where he made me care for the fact that he was yeah. going to be taken out. And he's just a droid. Yeah. Right? So, um, yeah, I'd have to say K2SO. How about yours? I'm going to say Donnie Yen's yeah. probably or Chirrut. Like, yeah. I, I really like that character. I found myself attached to him a lot. Yes, I, agree. I like the spirituality of it all mm-hmm. and the fact that he kind of walks through oh. this and then eventually is killed. Yeah. You know, like, I, I like that. And I that connection with Baze and the fe- and then Baze kind of goes a bit crazy mm-hmm. there and, and does this thing. I liked that death sequence and how that all enveloped into like the greater part yeah. of the film there. And, and even, even Bodhi. Yeah, you know his was. I was like, oh shoot, he's so excited, he's so happy, he got everything um, sent over to the rebels, and then he looks around and then he sees the the grenade, the grenade, and I was yeah. like, no way, and yeah. boom. Poor yeah. guy. And it was a quick sequence. Like, it, it yeah. kind of started happening on top of one another, all these deaths. Yeah. And so it was a lot to take in, and like, you didn't really have time to recover from Bodhi's death by the yeah. time you got the Churrets and then the Bazes exactly. and then K2SO and then yeah. you get into the Krennic scene and then Jin and all that so there's a lot to take in there mm. and they kind of tying up a lot of these bows really rapidly yeah. but it, to me it still kind of flowed pretty well it did and they all kind of connected because I think yeah. Baze looks back and he sees an explosion from Bodhi and yeah. then that sequence continues which yeah. I thought was shot incredible Yeah, yeah. we have the Rebel Fleet they, they obtain the, the transmitted plans finally yeah. here and they begin to flee, yeah. and they flee directly into the Devastator, which yeah. Tarkin had said, don't worry about it, Vader's going to take care of all this. Yeah. And the Devastator shows up and starts demolishing the Rebel fleet here. And the fact that the, the, the ships are going to hyperspace and crash into the Devastator yeah. and all that, I freaking loved that this scene like mm-hmm. it was just so spot on because it was one of those things that Tarkin did mention Vader yeah. and we didn't know if we were going to see him again because we weren't aware of any more of these scenes that do show up here yeah. and the fact that he shows up in a big way and then he says you know mount a loading party we're going on board and then holy I'm going to say it holy fucking yeah. shit <laughs> right like, yeah. I know we're a clean podcast here <laughs> but it had to be said man like this scene <clears throat> is something else when the trailers were dropping, I was always worried that I was going to see something like this, where you do hear Vader breathing, and then you hear the lightsaber light. Yes. Sorry, hold on. It's all good. My wife just texted me and wanted to know if I wanted the Rogue One um, glasses. Oh, the white ones? Yeah. Nice. Do it, man. They're sick. Sorry. Interruption here. Um, <laughs> the fact that we get this this scene, like I'm still almost taken aback by it, that we have Vader, your black you hear him breathing, and then the saber ignites. Oh my goodness, man. This sequence is incredible. Yeah. Like, I, I need to hear you. You are <laughs> Lords of the Sith. Yeah. You know, Vader down. We Die saw hard. stuff like this in the comic Yes. But to this extent that we're seeing this on, this is the only time we're ever going to see this mm-hmm. on film, I think. Is yeah. Vader going Lords of the Sith, just full on 
Vader here. Yeah, it's it was incredible, man. Like I was terrified. I was terrified just as much as those Rebel Troopers yeah. were because I see this guy lights up the lightsaber, and not only is he deflecting the the, the, the blasters, he's using the force with the other hand. Yeah. He's throwing one guy up in the air. He's slicing the other one. This was a Vader to the max. This is the best portrayal we've ever seen of the character. Hands down, it's the best sequence I've seen, not just in any Star Wars movie, maybe in any movie. Like, I, I put that airport scene pretty high up there from Civil yeah. War. This scene right there for, the, like, 90 seconds might have just captured it all and taken it away because this was just fantastic. He was terrified. And to see the effort that these troopers were making to get the Death Stars, it, it's like a baton that they're yeah. passing down. And Vader's just going through them one by one effortlessly, right? It's cool because this isn't like a lightsaber battle. This is just, this is a god walking amongst, like, ants, it you know? truly is. Huh. Like, and this is the scene that everyone talks about. Yeah. Like, everyone was blown away. My buddy texted me today and said, what is the book that you and Troy were talking about <laughs> after the film with Vader doing this? Like, yes. I, and I said, Lords of the Sith. Yes. I said, get the audiobook. Mm-hmm. I haven't read the audiobook or listened to the audiobook, but get it. Troy says it's incredible. Yeah. And trust in Troy when it comes to Vader because <laughs> like, he is the man when it yeah. comes to this. And like this scene is something like I don't I can't re- even explain it no. using like I you, this is just visually just sitting there watching this yep. I was blown away I was blown away one of the aspects that some people have issues with mm-hmm. is the fact that he should have been able to grab the Death Star plans with the force there yeah, yeah. what are your thoughts on that for me as this stone golf at the moment I, no. I couldn't even care less because you know like, like we mentioned before too like going into New Hope something has to go down because Vader is pissed yeah. right and and this scene just made sense but um, you mentioned to me your, your, your process and I really like that idea that Vader is one way right but Anakin is, has been one like you've mentioned before um, that he kind of gets distracted in combat yeah. much like Mace Windu and this character just goes off and he doesn't even care about the plans at this point no he just wants to annihilate everybody in his way and they, I think they just killed it. And that's the way I see it, that Anakin isn't focused in on the plans right now. He's focusing in on killing everyone in his path. And, like, he's got guys shooting at him. And, all, like, he's still trying to defend himself at the yeah. same time. Oh, yeah. and there's, like, 15 guys in front of him or yeah. whatever. And he's throwing, like, the blasters in the air oh, and all yeah. that. And I like the fact that they're so terrified. And they get and they're trying to open the door and yeah. they're screaming. And eventually they pass it through. And like that, like I, there's nothing you can say about that scene. Like that no. is the best scene in the film. The best, one of the best, if not the best, scenes in Star Wars. Yeah, and I agree with you. Yeah, this is probably one of the best scenes on film. <laughs> right, because it's terrifying. This is this is like Terminator and aliens. It's like and, slasher. Yeah, like, and he's just coming after you, and there's nothing you can do. Did you get enough Vader in this film? Like, would you <laughs> wanted more? Like, after seeing this, yeah. this, like, we're gonna get anything beyond this, yeah. really. Mm. But did you want more Vader after seeing this sequence? Like, did you wish that retroactively we could have seen more Vader, maybe interacting with Krennic or mm-hmm. Tarkin or something to that effect? Yeah. For me, I'm, I'm a huge Vader fan, so I'll mm-hmm. obviously say yes. But I again, this works in the film, and you gotta do what works for the film, right? Whether yeah. it's a character or not. So um, it, it made sense what they did. We got just enough Vader. And Vader always works well best in these doses, much like Rebels, right? Yeah. We didn't get a whole season full of Vader. We just got doses of him. Yeah. And much Fully like this agree. movie, yeah. yeah, it works the best this way. But you you don't think we'll get a Vader film, eh? Ever? No, I no. think this is the last time we're going to see Vader like yeah. this. Right. Like, I don't think there's any other... Th- like maybe they could go back yeah you know you never know I think like, the Jedi Purge yeah the Jedi Purge right after uh, um, Revenge of the Sith it'd be a great way to see him you know get used to his body and, and annihilate the Jedis because that's another story out there that we haven't been told yet right 
but I just when I see this sequence, yeah. I don't ever want them to try to top this because <laughs> I don't think you can. Like, yeah. if you go back and do a whole film of him doing yeah. this, it, you know, it takes away from the weight of this sequence in mm-hmm. itself. Like, I feel like this is Vader, and I know we've yeah. got Lords of the Sith and we've right. got Rebels and all that. Yeah, kind of and stuff other, too. yeah, other yeah. stories telling you Vader down from the comics when he just <laughs> annihilates like twenty five or yeah. whatever Rebel soldiers. Yeah. But at the same time, I think this is perfect on it film. It is great, yeah. And there's nothing more they can really do in this timeline. No. Because you're right into A New Hope. Exactly. And then we have the whole sequence after. And one thing that we discussed coming out of this is that we maybe wished a bit that they explained why he was slower in A New Hope. Yes. Like, I thought maybe would have been cool if he, he watches the ship, the tent of four take off, and then the Mon Calamari ship just blows up. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what you're left with. Yeah. You know Vader shows up, but that doesn't work as much connecting in with A New Hope. Right away. It, it's supposed to be basically Vader chases Two after seconds. him, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, what did you think of Leia's CG at the end of this film when she uh, drops the A New Hope line? Basically, the whole face, like, like it looks droopy. Yeah, like it was kind of cool that they went that aspect. I felt like they spent all of their CG money on Tarkin <laughs> in this department, and yeah. they kind of were like, oh shit, we should probably do this yeah. for Leia. But yeah, I like seeing the film. I think maybe they could have just done from her back. Yeah, and the fact that she turns around and says, you know, this is gives us a new hope or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, that line I didn't maybe particularly like as much as maybe I could have, mm-hmm. and because that changes how now I view a new hope for the title of episode four. Oh, okay. I always thought the new hope was Luke. Luke. Yeah, that's why. And was, yeah. but this maybe now referencing you know this is our new hope. Like, yeah. The new hope of the rebellion is the fact that we have these Death Star plans. So it kind of and they really weigh a lot on this idea of hope, hope. for this yeah. film, right? That, that it's not Luke because they're never really referencing when it comes to hope. Like a rebellion is built on hope. It's not built on Luke. It's yeah. built on something different, right? That's right. And so it kind of changes the aspect of that title for me a little mm, bit. Okay. But I'm yeah. I'm still okay with it. Like the the CG was kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't fully buy into it as much as I did towards the end with Tarkin and all right, that. Right. Uh, but it was okay. Yeah. 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 It's funny. Um, I, I was talking to a couple of the guys on the Star Wars Commonwealth, and I'm in the minority, or at least one of them, because um, I, I actually bought her CG more than Tarkin's. I don't. I don't know if it's because she was used kind of by herself, and she, she wasn't necessarily surrounded by uh, like other humans. Whereas Tarkin was constantly surrounded by humans, so that's why I could kind of see his flaws. Where she was just kind of in the white, but um, all around, all around, I think they did a great job with the, the effects here. You know, the shots, the, the CG in general, I, yeah. I thought they did a pretty good job. Well, and they didn't have to do any of this, right? This they was, didn't. They, they could have went down the simple path of reflections and mm. hoods and all that type yeah. of thing. But the fact that they committed to this, like, I think that's really a testament to what they were trying to do and how well they're trying to tie into this universe. Because mm-hmm. you can do all that. They did that in Revenge of the Sith with Tarkin, right? Really far distance. Yeah, shot. you had the cheekbones. Yeah, you got the, like this makeup. It didn't really yeah. look like them. So you get this idea of mm-hmm. that Tarkin's there. Yeah, and as a younger Tarkin, so yeah. you can kind of play with it a bit more. But yeah. this, they just went full on with it, and I yeah. really appreciate what they did here. Mm-hmm. All right, man. That's a, a long discussion about yeah. Rogue One. I think we could go into a ton more depth. I'm oh, yeah. sure we missed a few things here, like the fact that C2B5 wasn't in this film. Yeah, that's right. A character that, this astromech that I have a Funko Pop of in an Elite <laughs> series, and there's a lot of Easter eggs probably that on a second, third viewing that we're going to see. And there's yeah. a lot of aspects of this film that I think we're going to be talking about for a long time. I, I want to go back and revisit a bit of, of Catalyst and understand a bit more of some of this interaction, some of the stuff that maybe I didn't pick up on as much that might bring a bit more weight to some of the characters that we do see in this film. Mm-hmm. But all in all, what are your final thoughts on this film? Yeah, you know what? This film was was great. I love it. Um, do I like it more than Force Awakens? I don't, but that's because there's also anticipation behind that movie. The score let me down big time. This is the weakest Star Wars movie we've had for the score. Um, Michael uh, Giacchino, 
I believe his name is the guy we had about a month to yeah. do it. Uh, apart from that, this movie was great. Like I mentioned before, one of my weaknesses in this movie was the character development, but the overall story and the Death Star itself and the presence of Vader, it's a win-win for me. Uh, we're on market with the other Star Wars movies. I'm a funny guy here, but Empire's number one, obviously. And then I, I love Revenge of the Sith. I know yeah. people are going to kill me for this one, but I like Revenge of the Sith. And then I'd probably put Force Awakens, and then I'd throw this movie right there. Yeah. Yeah. How about yours? I'm dying to hear yours. Well, yeah. overall, for, for the film here, like I walked in this with really lofty expectations. Mm-hmm. And for me, I said this right when we walked to the theater, this far exceeded them. Yeah. I, you know, I have a lot riding on the Star Wars universe. I love the continuity. I love collecting. This is a big part of my life. And yep. this is something going into The Force Awakens and going into this movie. My wife is always trying to calm my expectations. <laughs> she doesn't want me to be let down by something that I've put a lot of time, effort, and love into. Yeah, Batman versus Superman? Yeah. I'm not so much in love with that. <laughs> Go back all those episodes before you hear me take that apart. But... This film delivered for me everything from the aesthetic to the color palettes to the characters. Like, the cast is fantastic. Mm -hmm. I might be still in the minority. I think the characters are developed enough that I'm attached to them. Yeah. And the CG is flawless and all this. Like, I can't tell if they used a droid like a, a mechanical droid or if it was k2 was all cg like there, there, it's flawless yeah because there's a lot of practical too with the cg right yeah. yeah and the space battles and the the sequence on jetta and the sequence on scarif like all of this really envelops this movie into something that i hold among the best of the star awesome. wars films i i love how it bridged the gaps here and i'll agree with you the score was one of the weaker points. Mm-hmm. The score, I find, is often a character within a Star Wars mm-hmm, film. Big time. And this fell short of that. And it was something that was there, mm-hmm. but I never really noticed it. And so yeah. coming into a Star Wars film and not noticing the score tells you something a bit about the score. If I had to knock the film a little bit, it is the score. Yeah. But at the same time, this this movie just has so much. Like I think if you're a Star Wars fan and you're you're in the lore, you're, you're very invested in the property, you get a lot more out of this. I found myself giddy. Nice. On the edge of my seat for the majority. It's like the amount of times I swung my head to look at Troy or I had my hands up on my head or over my mouth or yeah. like through my hair or whatever. In. Yeah. Yes, I was just wanting to take in so much of this movie. And I'm looking forward to my second and third and getting more out of this. Because awesome. I think with The Force Awakens, as I got more and more into the film and as I watched it more and more times, I got more out of it. I yeah. liked it more and more each viewing. And oh, I yeah. think this is going to be that end. Yeah, they did a lot of fan service, but it wasn't over your head. Like yeah. I didn't feel like any of it took me out of the film. It yeah. engaged me more as a Star Wars fan. Yeah. And I think every aspect of this is is just so expertly executed that I, I don't really have much bad things to say. There's a few nitpicky things, but overall, high recommend for me, Star Wars fan or not, check this film out. Yeah. Get Catalyst. Yep. watch this movie and stick an episode yeah. four. Catalyst is a must for it this. Is. Like we said yeah. last week, you don't really need it. And I know yeah. we're we, coming back around to this idea of it. We need this, mm. right? As far as my ranking goes, yeah. Empire still sits up there. Nice. Then I'm going to put Rogue One. Wow. That's, yes. that's cool though. That makes a lot of sense right now. That yeah. Like I'm still, like I said, honeymoon phase a bit yeah. with this. And Gotta let marinate. Yeah. And yep. then I'd put in A New Hope, then Force Awakens, Return. Sweet. Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones. Sweet. Sorry, Revenge is in there after... Uh, I did say Revenge is in Yeah. No, sorry. You said Return? 
Return, then Revenge. Oh, okay, cool, cool. So, yeah, it's like, whoa, Phantom Menace, that's high up there. <laughs> yeah. No, Phantom Menace is it's second to the bottom. But, yeah. um, I appreciate all the films for what they are. I really do. To the universe, yeah. But this one's sitting really high up there. It's it's amongst those. And this is like a fluid list, right? Like yeah. I, I think that this may change as my second viewings. I may rock around with different films depending on what era I'm sitting in. Yeah. But and, and, and what era you put these movies in because they enhance different movies after yeah. a while, right? Yeah. Definitely. And coming back to the question I asked at the start, does this change your views of A New Hope? Like, does this make the original trilogy better for you? A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent it does, yeah. Because it's cool because you, you go out this warbound movie and then you get to Tatooine where it's like this carefree, like, I'm just a farm boy that wants to go out and pilot an X-Wing. Yeah. You know, it's such a completely different tone, but it still connects and it's it's just so well done. Yeah. God, it's so well done. I fully yeah. agree. <laughs> Going back into New Hope and watching it before and now watching it after, we have the Rogue One goggles on now. Like, yeah. this changes our perspective of the rebellion of the alliance and what they put into this and the fact that all the writers and that put so much effort into making sure that this fit into this universe and this ties into a new hope it makes this universe just that much better like i love it no matter what but this just keeps elevating with the force awakens and now rogue one yes i'm looking forward to the, the future of star wars here yeah we're in good hands now i'm actually looking forward now to the rogue or not the rogue i'm looking forward now to the han solo movie yeah. like these anthology films could be pretty cool yeah we're yeah. less than a year away now from episode eight so yeah. let the speculation begin yeah and a title will probably drop after we're done airing yeah exactly yeah <laughs> always yeah, yeah always happens here so as we depart here so this is you know it's been a freaking pleasure talking rogue one i can't wait yeah. to dissect this a little more and as we go through here on the podcast we're going to be talking probably more rogue one as new things comes out as things surface as we see this movie again and again i want to revisit this discussion maybe a couple weeks down the line and, th- and as we've had time to think about some of these ideas and these aspects and expand on some of the ideas that are brought forth in the various podcasts because we are part of the star wars commonwealth and all of us are talking rogue one this week and i haven't listened to all of them i listened to i think it was rogue squadron podcast and x-wings kind of out of the gate out of the theater kind of non-spoiler yeah, I saw that. Thoughts yeah, and ideas of the film. Yeah. And now I'm going to go and listen to their thoughts and opinions because I'm really interested in what they have to say. So go check out Tumbling Saber, Talk Star Wars, Generation X-Wing, Skyhopper Podcast, and Rogue Squadron Podcast and see what those guys have to say. Do they agree with this? I don't know. But it's great to have the different perspectives. A lot of those guys are coming from different generations. So we yeah. do have this big generational gap between some of us in that the OT is their movie versus the whole broad spanning kind of people that love the prequels and people that grew up with the prequels more and yeah. kind of you have Troy and I that are kind of sit in between of that. So yeah. it's kind of an interesting kind of mix and spectrum of Star Wars fans that we do have across here. Absolutely. And, and guys, we'd love to hear your thoughts too. I, like, am I crazy for having, you know, Revenge of the Sith on my list so high? Let us know. Do you like Tarkin? Did you not like yeah. Tarkin? Let us know. I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts and what you overall thought about this movie. Yeah, hit us up on Twitter. Our handle's at the end of the episode or hashtag enter the nerd room. You can get us at thenerdrm at gmail.com. You can get us on YouTube or Facebook. Just search the nerd room podcast and leave your comments, questions, whatever there. We'd love to discuss that a little more. Always. And also this week, Troy and I are going to be doing a little fireside chat over on the Generation X-Wing podcast. We're going to be talking Star Wars, a bit about the podcast, and doing kind of a trivia night here that they've set up for us. So make sure to check out Gen X on iTunes either Thursday or Friday. I can't remember when they're exactly dropping the episode, but keep an eye out for that. Tumbling Saber is also going to be on that. So we have a whole bunch of us kind of discussing Star Wars and kind of doing a little bit of versus trivia. So really looking forward to that. Nice. And going forward into the end of 2016, 2017, next week we're going to be doing our year in review. We're going to be talking about film, comics, collecting, 
everything about 2016 that we love. We're going to be kind of ranking some of the films here and discussing some of our favorite parts about Nerd in 2016. Week after that, we're going to be doing our most anticipated of 2017 episode, talking about some of those more trailers that have dropped recently. War of the Planet of the Apes, the new Fast and the Furious, all these huge trailers that are dropping for our summer blockbuster season. We're going to be talking about what we're looking forward to comic book-wise and film-wise and collecting-wise in 2017. Yeah, be prepared. We're going to be right back into more comic book action after this winter break, right? So we're going to have episodes right through the holidays here. Oh, yeah. We From the Nerd, we want to wish all of you a happy holidays, happy new year. We're going to be back here next week, but we'll be through Christmas and all that. So wishing you and your families you know, a very Merry Christmas, happy holidays, happy Hanukkah, all that kind of stuff. All that good stuff. Have a safe holidays and don't put too much alcohol in that blue milk, guys. Yes, Keep yes. it safe. Stay away from the blue milk. <laughs> But yeah, thank you guys again for listening through here for a year in the Nerd Room. And we look forward to 2017 expanding on all of this. And make sure to go check out the Star Wars Commonwealth, all the podcasts there, starscommonwealth.com and SW Commonwealth on Twitter. Follow that and see what everyone else has to say about Star Wars. So really looking forward to We're in good hands here. We've got two solid movies out of the gates. Yeah. And it's going to be a hell of another year with Star Wars coming into Episode 8. And look out for our speculation coming probably right out of the gates here. Yeah. All right, until next Thursday for the Nerd Room, I'm Tim. I'm Troy. And thank you for entering the Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room podcast production. You can find our hosts, Tim and Troy, on Twitter at TheNerdRM and TroyTheBoy87. Don't forget to subscribe to the Nerd Room on iTunes, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search the Nerd Room podcast. Be sure to head over to StarWarsCommonwealth.com to find other podcasts on the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network including Talk Star Wars, Generation X-Wing, Tumbling Saber, Rogue Squadron Podcast, and the Skyhopper Podcast. Follow the Star Wars Commonwealth on Twitter at SW Commonwealth and take your first steps into a larger world.